Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Uh, my name is Tyler, um, Tyler Hartford, and uh, my family and I, we've been a part of our store for several years now, and I, I have the opportunity to speak with you today, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm just going to open with one verse, and then I'll go into why we're doing this series. Psalms 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. To start with the idea that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're in our series on hard talks, and uh, Pastor Gene introduced last week this series as a way to talk about uh, a few issues along the way that can be controversial, that tend to um, get people's tempers flared or uh, have a breakdown in relation relationships around the table. And so we just kind of picked a few topics that give us the opportunity to look at how we as Christians actually live uh, in many of these situations in a sort of tension where we don't fit that black and white answer. It's, it's kind of this concept in theology of a, a third way, another way of living. And so when we look at some of these topics, we're drawn in by the media, by our culture, to take a side, go hard, and in many ways, it feels like it's going further and further away from each other. And I, I would like to just be clear in saying that this isn't always a middle position either. It can be a very distinctly unique way of approaching a topic or a situation because that's what Jesus did. He was available to talk to not only the Jewish rebels, he also spoke to the Roman authorities. He, in his context, was always adapting and looking at how he addressed difficult issues. So Pastor Gene invited me to share about the care of creation. Um, that might involve discussions around environmentalism. It might be around uh, climate change. Um, I don't know about you, but my social media feed and my news feed is filled with articles. Uh, it seems like a renewed effort around this theme of climate change. But what I'd like to do is share with you today just a few things about our call and witness and that tension we might experience as Christians as we engage the topic of caring for creation. I grew up in Maine, and so I'd like to go ahead and just show a, a billboard that is not far from my home. Um, this is God's country. Why well, set it on fire and make it look like hell? Um, I guess it's one way to prevent forest fires, right? So um, just a little context. Um, I think context, we all come from different places, and so when we give a context of what I'm coming from, it might give you a sense of my heart and how I want to approach this topic. Maine is a state that is dependent upon fishing and hunting in the lumber industry. Um, raw materials. So there's not a lot of industry. It's a, it's a large state with a small population. I grew up in Bangor, Maine, which was the third largest city in the state, and it has 31,000 residents. For perspective, Goshen has 35,000 and has a lot of other people around. I think within just a few miles, you're up into the hundreds of thousands. So 
That gives you an idea that the third largest city was, is smaller than Goshen. Um, to give you a, a sense of this, like when I was a child, a, a moose came up the river, um, came about 10 blocks up from the river and decided to lay down in my mother's flower garden right in the middle of the city and uh, start eating her precious flowers. And she went out to hang out the laundry and you hear this screaming and there's this moose just like 20, 30 feet away from her. So the game wardens had to come and tranquilize it and, and move it on. It was a young bull moose searching for love and lost and looking for love in all the wrong places. So when, um, when I was in middle school and in high school, the backbone of the state was the paper companies. They owned almost 80% of the state. Since then, a lot of regulations have come in and a lot of that land has gone to private use. But in the time, what was happening was there was a lot of pollution coming out of the paper mills and industry to the south and the west from us. And so what would happen is the storms would come through and the rain would pass through that pollution and would create something called acid rain and would upset the balance of pH in the streams and the, and the ponds. So I enjoyed, um, unless the bugs are really bad, I enjoyed fishing with my father and family and we would go up into the northern part of the state and we'd see firsthand effects of this as trees were turning yellow and brown and and the trout that we would catch would have open sores in them because the pH balance was off. And there were times when we would fish and we'd also discover that people had been poaching. And so you go into this small pond that you've been hiking out into and all of a sudden there's this uh, pile of used fishing gear, milk jugs with lots of hooks on them where they'd fished all the trout out of the pond. And so you're in there and, and you come in and there's, there's this trash everywhere that people had brought in but didn't take out. And, and so like these are core memories for me because um, especially in a state where the, the livelihoods depended on people coming in and, and, and using these resources, it was very jarring. It's it really burned into my um, mind. Maybe my theme of some ideas of context will come around this theme of water. It's like, like um, Gene and um, Jordan I think was talking last week, we, you know, there's, when you get into a topic, there's layers to this thing. And I found that there's so many layers, I'm never gonna unpack it all. So I'm just gonna give you this context from water. Another piece for me would be, when I was a really small child, Maine would, uh, our town would get water from both the river and the reservoir. And they would say that the solution to pollution was dilution. Let me say that again, the solution to pollution was dilution. So if you could just add enough fresh water to the dirty water, then it's okay to drink, okay? So like we may laugh at that mindset, but I believe that where we sit currently in each generation, there are ways that the next generation is gonna look at it and say, what were they thinking, okay? So now let me just say from that experience, I think a lot about stewardship of creation and the selfishness of human beings. Now I live in Indiana and I am totally jarred by what I see sometimes. When you live in Indiana, you might not see it, but for me, on the theme of water, I'm aware that this area used to be covered in hardwood forest, that there were clear, cold streams going through the land, and there were trout and lots of wildlife. And so, yes, there's industry and farming here, and that makes life possible, but this area does not look at all like what it used to look like. Imagine all these ponds and streams around us being crystal clear and full of 
wildlife that you wouldn't normally see here. The other thing that I noticed by living in a subdivision for some time and all the subdivisions around here is that I'm shocked by how the wells are in the front yard and the septic in the back, and we're all on top of each other. Now, not to gross you out any or anything, but it's a real thing. Like in Maine, because it's granite, um, I have family members who have gotten extremely sick from, um, from someone else's septic system getting into the cracks in the rock and coming into their well water. So it, it's fascinating for me to be in a context where that isn't, it isn't so much noticed as an issue for some. Um, you just wouldn't do that um, because you're drinking somebody else's septic system. Yeah, it's okay to awkwardly laugh. Um, and kind of this bigger picture of like, I've done some fishing on Lake Michigan, and then there's been some times when they said, well, don't, don't, don't eat the lake trout. You know, if you are, just cut like an inch in off the skin, and like, just some of that, um, like, pollution that's in Lake Michigan or in the waterways, or when we think about the fact that all this waste that's coming out of the West, and even now I'm feeling it with the allergies, um, the stream of wind that comes up from the Western states, when that water comes down through the rain here in Indiana, it's going right through all of this stuff. So some of the older generation, you can, you can probably testify to what it was like back when Gary, Indiana was in full strength, swing and, and all that stuff would come out over our area. So those are just some big picture things that I think about when I'm trying to think of how do I live in this tension of caring for creation and looking at the effects around us. So I might give one more example just to bring it even more home because it's fresh. Um, when I go to the Elkhart Fair and I um, go totally crazy and eat all this crap that I would, like, like who, who eats the stuff that we eat at the 4-H Fair, right? It's a one-time-a-year one thing. And I just noticed that all this packaging and all this trash just overflowing from some of the barrels kind of feel bad for the people who pick up the trash. And I just, I just sometimes, I look at all the broken toys and things, and I just think, wow, you know, sometimes my brain, my brain goes, I wonder what the factory worker in China thinks about making this toy that's a pig that poops M&Ms. I mean, like, like, seriously, like some of the things we do. And then a few weeks later, I'll go to uh, something called a, the release sale, and this is where I'm going to speak a little bit about the tension, this release sale in the area, um, I've gone to throw something away, and I, I remember very clearly last year, there was a woman that was shaking with anger next to this recycling station because people didn't know how to sort their trash. And she was almost paralyzed, and she was taking trash from everybody. And you could tell she wanted to go and do her thing, but it was just, it was just absolutely overriding every rational thought she had because she saw people not sorting their trash correctly. What might it be for us to kind of think about where is that space we live in between treating the world like it's disposable and being so obsessed that maybe creation becomes our God rather than our view of the creator instead of the created? I'm not even getting into the topic today of climate change. I'm just going to note that I think personally we haven't seen enough of these thousand-year cycles. A friend of mine just came back from visiting Glacier National Park said that there's a forest on the bottom of Lake, I think it's Thompson, that was there in 1100 AD, a time when the water was so low, a forest could grow. 
So we, we haven't seen these full cycles yet. And yet at the same time, if we've only been living for about 100 to 200 years of burning all this trapped fossil fuel, then we don't know what the effects of all this carbon is going to do when it gets out into the atmosphere. We are living in the now, and our future generations will be able to tell us really what that's doing to us. So you may notice that I haven't yet said one word about our relationship with Jesus, really. I haven't said anything about the Bible. What I've tried to do is just paint for you a little bit of the tension that's in my mind when I think about trying to care for the environment and what do I do when I'm a follower of Jesus? How do I respond in ways that are not based in fear? How do I respond in ways that doesn't just be driven by my social media or the, the news outlets constantly telling me that the world's going to end? From my experience, making a behavior change through fear isn't something that lasts. That doing things out of love and relationship is where things last. You can apply that to pretty much any of our topics. So what I'd like to do is just invite you to go with me to the Bible, to the, ba to the very beginning. We're going to go to Genesis. I'll have some verses on the screen, but if you want to look on your phone or in your Bibles, it's Genesis 1 and 2. The opening scene in chapter 1, in chapter 1, people argue that the view of creation is from God's view, what he might have seen, whereas chapter 2 is more from humanity's point of view. And God speaks, like Gene says, words have power. God speaks creation into existence. On the fifth day, he creates animals of the sea and the air. But on the sixth day, he creates all the beasts that live on the land and human beings. He speaks them into existence. And it says that he creates male and female. So in this case, this creation account speaks of a unity of humanity being created at the very same time as all the other animals that we share the land with. And in verse 26 of Genesis 1, it says, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. There are two themes in here that I wanted to bring up. One is this idea of ruling over creation. Other tra tra uh, translations would say things like dominion. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear rule and dominion, I sometimes just think of like crushing power over, right? Like, like I have absolute control. But the context here is more that we are stewards, that we are like a king. You see, if a real king is managing his kingdom, he isn't going to just crush people because then he loses all of the resources that keep him in power. I mean, this idea that um, we might think about caring for creation instead of being like a, a dominating or a um, uh, kind of like a, a crushing power, what does it mean to be a caring leader who is concerned about the resources that are entrusted to their care. My well-being as a king, for example, directly is dependent on how I care for the subjects and for the land that is under my dominion. This is what God is saying to humanity. I'm giving you this earth. You are princes. You are princesses of the Most High, and you are going to care for my kingdom. 
And then the other thing is, is it says that let us make man in our image. You see, this idea of imago Dei, of being made in the image of God, means that when God created us, he intended us to behave in ways that reflect him. If you know your Old Testament, it does tell us that human beings are not supposed to make graven images or idols to worship, that rather we should worship the Most High. You know, it's the same concept that's being introduced here, that we as human beings are created in the image of God, that we actually represent him physically here on earth. We are the ones who then help direct worship back to the creator. I'm going to come back to that theme in just a moment. But if you go on a little further in the scripture, it says that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Again, this idea of like caring for, not just destroy and use up and throw away, but walk alongside of, steward, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over a living creature that moves on the ground. This doesn't mean that we take some kind of passive approach. It doesn't mean that we just let creation just run itself. It's actually designed for human beings to live and be integrated into creation and to actually care for it. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and all the beasts of the earth, all the birds in the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. So everything in this creation is actually made for us to come alongside of, discover, take, and take delight in for beauty and for food. God actually delights in us looking at creation and participating in it and using it. He said that all, he saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, sixth day. So good. He looked out over creation where human beings were living in this garden that he created. He said, this is a beautiful thing. Sometimes our media and the ways that we hear the news tells us that human beings are destructive and they really should reduce their numbers and they shouldn't be on this earth and they should just let creation run itself. But what we hear in scripture is that human beings are actually partners with God in caring for his earth. But let's also not forget chapter two, which is a different view. It's man's view. It's the chance to look at creation from another lens. Now, in this account, we don't have plants yet, and man is formed from clay. He breathes his very breath into our nostrils. We are made in the image of God. And this, excuse me, this perspective says in verse 8, Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, where he put man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if we know our, um, like our Bible stories, even uh, the basic ones about Adam and Eve, we tend to look at this passage just through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, right? But if we stop for a second, we look at the fact that God created all these things that are pleasing to the eye and for food, we are reminded of what I just mentioned earlier. If we go on to verse 15, he says, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
So what we're hearing here again for the second time is that the root calling of human beings is for us to be, in a sense, gardeners, caregivers. What do we see in the next story of the Bible where Cain and Abel come along, the brothers, one is a shepherd, one is a gardener. At the very base of our existence is this calling for us to think about ourselves as being placed on earth in a garden where things are pleasing to look at and to eat and to care for it for the Lord. I'll even take it so far to say that I have a friend of mine that would, uh, his whole job in science was to find nematodes or little living creatures that are in the grains of dirt. And he said, I feel like I'm Adam. Because what does scripture say in the next ver- in verse 19? Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. Whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. So man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. When we look through a microscope, when we look through a binoculars, or we look through a telescope, because a bunch of people have been looking at stars lately, right? The falling stars and the, the meteorite, meteorites, meteorites. God is looking over our shoulder and he's taking delight in what we discover. So my friend would say he would take an eyelash and he would sort through the grains of dirt and he would discover new creatures that are living between the grains of sand that are brought in from different parts of the country. And he said, I get to join in with Adam naming creation. Let that sink in. We're still doing that today. I think the Lord takes great delight. He is so excited that we take time to notice his creation and even name it. What a gift. What an opportunity. He could have named them all, just told them what they were, what they are, but instead we're invited to play with him and to look at what he's done and see that it's good and pleasing. And yet we're also reminded, even in the story of Noah in Genesis 9, that the fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky, and every creature that moves along the ground, and all the fish in the sea, they're given into your hand. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. In short, the fear of man is now upon all animals, because sin has consequences that goes beyond breaking the relationship between humanity and God, or between man and woman, or between man and man, or woman and woman. It also breaks the relationship with creation, that something gets disordered and broken. Now, to make sure that we don't just stay in the Old Testament, I'd like to just bring a couple of points in from the New Testament. When we come to the New Testament, we don't see as many message uh, points about creation, but we do hear a lot about restoration, restoring, reconciling between God and humanity, This is even baked into the DNA of this congregation with the name, this idea that restore church is not just about relationship between humanity and God or between each other, but also with our neighborhoods, with our communities, with all the world around us. If we would just look at a couple of the New Testament, just a smattering of them. How about, um, we'll start with the next one, the first one, Mark 16. Go into all the world, the cosmos, and preach the creation to all Preach the gospel to all of creation. That word there of creation is is everything that is created. Go into the cosmos and preach the gospel to everything that's created. 
more famous, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the cosmos, the world, the broken creation so much that he sends his son to save us and I believe to redeem the world, eternal life, life of the ages. It actually goes on in verse 17 to say, God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If you read it in Greek, he did not send his son into the cosmos to condemn the cosmos, but to save the cosmos through him. And then um, before I go to Paul's words, I don't think there's a mistake that John, when he's telling the story of the resurrection, and they're in the garden, and Mary's weeping, and she's wondering where Jesus has gone. What does she mistake Jesus as? A gardener. I think that John wanted to remind us that God had sent his son to redeem the world, just like back to the place where Eden was. I don't think it's a mistake that he is recognized as a gardener by Mary. And we go on to Paul's writings, so many places he talks about the groaning creation. But in Colossians 1, he says, For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And it says in multiple letters that he's written that creation is just groaning. The world is just anticipating that Jesus is going to come back and just set everything right. You see, God's vision of reconciliation doesn't just mean that he has his vision of restoring humanity back to him in relationship between humanity. He wants us to actually find a way back into Eden. That while maybe before he comes back, we'll never see ourselves living in this perfect garden, his kingdom is always now and not yet. So what are we doing now that gives a hint, that gives a witness of what is to come. I'm going to give us some, um, we, we talked about this last week. First of all, I'm going to stop and apologize for the big data dump. There was a lot of, there was a lot of scriptures, but I had to kind of give some context for you. Gene was talking last week about the fact that this series might not always provide black and white answers. I think this is true here. What I'm trying to evoke for us is this sense that we're not going to get drawn into this idea that the world is just disposable, that we just use it up like a fast food meal packaging and just throw it away. But also, we don't want to be so obsessed with our environment and our creation that we forget who is the one who stands behind it all. And so I believe that um, what then might we say or do is rooted in asking about our calling and our witness. And that might look different for each of you. If we think about our calling, if we're called to tend creation, and we follow Jesus Christ, who is about restoring human beings in right relationship with each other and God, what might it be that we um, think about when we think of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth up to the present time? What does it mean when Paul says that creation itself is in bondage to decay and death and is longing for the day that Jesus is going to come and set things right? Listen, I know there are several people even sitting here today that the last couple of days you've posted things on Instagram about how um, you've had some amazing gains in your physical health with 
weightlifting and diet and so on. That's the same concept, right? That we are to call, called to steward ourselves, our mind, our soul, and our bodies. So why not let that be an extension of the environment that we live within? You see, if we have a theology that the world's just going to burn up and be thrown away, we're going to treat it that way. I'm going to say, if we have a theology that believes that this world is just going to burn up within our lifetime, it's just going to get thrown away, we're going to treat it that way. But I've got, I've got seven kids. Track record with Jesus coming back, likely I'm going to die before he comes back. How do I leave this place in a better place? So I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the worship team to begin to get ready, and I'll make my last point. What does it mean for us to consider how we might be almost like Boy Scouts, that we might leave this place better than we found it. Whether it means that we're going all in trying to make sure that a family member knows Jesus or a next-door neighbor has been reconciled with God, that we work to restore that broken relationship between myself and my boss, or maybe even just some little way that you might think about how you're going to leave the world a better place for your kids. Because what I'm finding is, when you look at all the things that are happening in the news, whether you believe it or not, is that the next generation is really concerned about what's going to happen, what they're going to be left with. And so, I, gotta, I, I hope I was clear earlier, I'm not always settled on some of these issues. Um, I do believe there's a fair amount of fear-mongering going on. At the same time, if I don't have care and empathy for those who are really concerned about those things, they're never going to hear me talk about Jesus. How can we be more aware about our empathy, about the things that bother other people, in a way that we can walk into their lives and be a witness of Jesus Christ? I'll just leave those thoughts with you. This has been working me over, and I hope it maybe introduced some conversation for you. And during this song, there'll be a prayer team up here. Now, this is not an altar call for environmentalism. How do you do that? I'm sure it's happened somewhere. But this is an altar call to, to look at where maybe you can set something right in your life. Just, just one win. You might be reconciled with God or that you might be an emissary to... Uh, to God to reconcile a relationship between him and a neighbor and a friend or a family member, or for the Lord to maybe just give you some insight into ways that you might then draw alongside of somebody and have empathy for where they're at and share the good news with them. Thank you, Gene, for the opportunity to bring the word today. It's been an honor to be with you all today. God bless. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.